I think most in here probably know me, but my name's Brooklyn Worth, and I want to think, was it three or four years ago I shared my salvation testimony here? I'm thinking around three or four years ago. So I'm not going to go into that for sake of time, but um, I was not raised in church, so I was not immersed in the gospel all my life and knew everything and, and was able to get saved. Um, at eight, but I remember going to a church of God with my grandmother when I was eight, and I'm not sure what the preacher said, but I went to the altar. Well, from eight to 18, I held on to a profession of, you know, thinking I was saved. So long story short, and I've shared it here before, but God, in his mercy and grace, when I was 18 years old, he opened my eyes, uh, like she was saying, conviction, he let me see that I wasn't saved. And so I was saved at 18. So after that, I had two of the best weeks of my life. I mean, I remember it, it was like everything was new and I was in a new world. And I just remember testifying and telling everyone I come in contact with that I was saved. And I was just so excited. But out of just out of nowhere, it was about two weeks after I was saved. It was just as if a thought hit my mind, well, if you aren't saved then, how can you know you're saved now? And so that set me on a journey of wanting to know that I knew that I was saved this time. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And I have definitely, and I'm sure Miss Darlene and these other pastor's wives have dealt with this, but even just like she said in a short time, this is something that I think everybody will come encounter with somebody that's doubting their salvation at some point. And I do think young girls are probably more prone to this because of our makeup and our emotions and, and different things. But the Lord really has given me victory uh, personally through this. And um, I hope that this will help you. And so my when Deanna texted me, the first thing I texted her back is, I will be honored to pray for me because... Salvation is so simple, and I don't want to make it seem like it's not. But I do want to go through different terminologies that we hear through salvation because when I was searching, am I truly saved this time, this is what helped me. So I don't want it to seem like I'm complicating it, but I do want to go through uh, like repentance and faith and just give you definitions that really encourage and strengthen me personally in my walk and to know that I was saved for sure. So I do want to put that out there that it is not uh, complicated, but in our generation and in our culture now, you have so many different ideas and so many different things going on that I do think it is important to know what does God say about salvation. As simple as it is, people are are switching things up and saying things aren't necessary and so anyways just pray for me I am nervous I get nervous every time but I want to start in Matthew 4 and it talks about verse number one it says then when then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and to me doubting your salvation can definitely be a temptation that the devil can use towards the Christian. And so I wanted to say, how did Jesus deal with the temptation of the devil? And so it says that when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, 
If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And go down to verse 6. And saith unto him the devil, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, and see Satan's twisting God's word here, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then it goes down in verse 8, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and then skip down to verse 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. So I have that underlined in my Bible. We see three temptations of the devil. But it says in verse 4, Jesus said, It is written. And you go down to verse number 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again. And then verse number 10, For it is written. So how did Christ himself, who was the word of God, he encountered the Satan's temptation, but he overcome by it is written. And that's how we're going to overcome. And I know it sounds simple, and I know when I was struggling, I was like, that's too simple. But it's really not. So this is a very broad topic to cover in a very short amount of time. But I just want to just put some things out there and things you can meditate on and grow on. The first thing that I would never recommend is if somebody comes to you doubting their salvation, I would never immediately say, well, you're saved. I feel like that is a very important, a very sober topic. So if your daughter or if someone in the church or if somebody comes to you and says, I'm questioning this thing of salvation, I would be very cautious and I would pray and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance and then search the Word of God. So I would never recommend just saying, you are saved, you went to an altar. Really Really slow down and use the sermon of the Holy Spirit. And they could be saved, but you don't ever want to tell someone that's lost that they are saved. So that would be my first caution um, in regards to that. But doubt and unbelief are different. So I do want to point that out. Doubt usually is not the same as unbelief. They believe the word of God. They are believing these things, but they're doubting whether they personally are saved. So doubt and unbelief are two different things. So if somebody's coming to you and saying, I just don't believe God is real, this is a, that's a different topic than somebody doubting their salvation. Because, one, it's, it's understandable to question if either the significance or genuineness of one's spiritual experience. So 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own self. So it's not a negative thing to want to make sure that you are saved. So um, I did have uh, somebody to tell me uh, shortly after I was saved that that was unbelief. But I do believe doubt and unbelief are two completely different topics. So I think the first place to start is really you need a clear understanding of what is biblical salvation. And that's where I said I don't want to confuse <coughs> any of this. But I do want to use some things that personally help me definition-wise. So I think number one is repentance. So this is something definitely in our culture that is getting erased faster than, you know, you're not supposed to mention the word repent, but it is a biblical principle. Second uh, Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Um, so many in our day, they don't want to go to hell. They want a Savior, but they don't want to let go of their sin. So repentance is necessary um, for salvation. You cannot, uh, some may go to the altar out of fear some, because someone else went. But to repent means to have a change of mind that always produces a change of your affection and then a change of your action. So, and we'll get more into that. But with repentance comes sorrow or regret, but a sorrow that does not result in a change of direction is not repentance. So we see that with the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And his riches was his God. Having riches is not a bad thing, but riches was his God. And so the Lord told him, and he went away sorrowful. So he had regret, and he had sorrow, but he was not repentant. So there's a, there's a difference there. So being willing to turn from your sin, it causes a hatred towards your sin. And then also, repentance, it's not just an emotion. So some everybody's emotional makeup is different. I'm a very emotional person, so I did cry when I got saved. But I've known a lot of people that didn't. So repentance is not an emotion. You can't gauge, did I repent because I cried enough, or did I repent because I didn't cry. But repentance is when we have an inward change of our desire towards sin. Um, and then a lot of people think, well, I've repented, but I've sinned again. But Proverbs 24, 16 says, the just man will fall seven times and yet rise up again. So one who experiences a change of heart concerning sin may fail, but he is not content living in the sin. So if you can sin and you love it and you you don't want to repent, you, you love that sin, then you've not repented. And so... And then 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11, this is a, it's kind of a long verse, but it's very important. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There's a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, so a godly sorrow, this is what it produces, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this passage. So we see that genuine repentance is completely different than worldly sorrow because it's followed by a diligence to do what is right. You have a clear conscience. You just you have displeasure over sin. You have a fear and awareness of God. I remember after I got saved, that was the biggest thing that I noticed was so different. My awareness of God, everything I did, everything, my every thought was centered around an awareness of God and an eagerness to serve Him. And yes, I fail every day, but I don't desire to. So your desires inwardly change once you've repented. But then also something that's kind of a misconception is repentance is not just being sorry because you got caught or sorry because you have sinned, but it's a sorrow towards God. I have offended a holy God, and I'm repenting towards Him, not repenting because I'm going to, to jail or I'm not repenting because I'm, you know, whatever you could, you could say, but I'm repenting because this is God's law, and I have transgressed that, and I'm sorry to a holy God. That is a biblical repentance, picture of repentance. 
And so it's uh, belief and repentance are two sides of the same coin. If you if you don't believe the Bible, you're not going to think you need to repent. So it's the same same coin, just two different sides. So a Bible repentance, not only are you going to turn from a sin, but you're also then going to turn unto Christ. If you're just sorry you sin and you don't turn to Christ, then that's not salvation. So I can, and I, I love this quote. I've heard my husband say this many times. I can know that I have believed because I'm still believing, and I can know that I have repented because I am still repenting. So it's not complicated, but I know personally that this, these simple definitions help me so much because usually when a young person or anyone is analyzing their salvation, what do they do? They go back to their experience, right? They go back to analyzing all that they did, and salvation's not in what we do. But I feel like this gives us clear pictures of, of evidences and clear pictures of things that God has wrought in your own personal heart. So number two is faith. And I don't know if anybody's heard of Debbie Pride, but I pulled several of her quotes. I love Debbie Pride's work. Um, but this is one of the quotes, and I remember this helping me so much because I, I would complicate things, and usually girls are the best at complicating something very simple. So it would say, you know, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then it would say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And I was trying to tie these things in together. But I remember this definition helping me so much and just something so simple giving me clarity. But she said, to believe is the active form of the word faith. Thus to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to exercise saving faith. Faith as applied to salvation refers to trust or reliance upon Christ and his work alone. So believing upon Christ is exercising that faith. It's a reliance upon him for our salvation. And then saving faith is also the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Saving faith is trust in a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in all that the Bible says about Christ, what Christ did, that his blood um, that his atonement is sufficient, those different things. Saving faith involves the heart. It is a faith that affects our whole being. It includes our thoughts, our emotions, and definitely our will. Faith is not mere intellectual assent to these facts, but a personal reliance on Christ. So I was in Christian school, 11th grade, and homeschool, 12th grade, and I was saturated in the Word of God the last half of my time at home. And I knew about God, but I didn't know him. And the difference is you can know about God, but salvation is when we rely upon him, we trust him to save our souls. And that's the difference. Um, I don't remember a time that I didn't believe that Jesus was real or that Jesus died for me. I don't remember a time where there was ever an unbelief necessarily, but there hadn't been a time where I had put my faith in him to save me personally. And that was where I was, the disconnect was for me. So to trust Christ for salvation is synonymous with believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. One who trusts Christ for salvation is wholly relying upon what Christ did as Calvary as payment for one's sin. And then you also take God at his word that he will save. So if you believe he can't save or he won't save, then you're not going to have saving faith towards him. Um, so we are saved not because of what we say or how we pray, but because of what we believe or what we rely upon for our salvation. So I remember when I was under conviction, and I love that definition. I've never heard the definition you said, to be shown. That is 
that is exactly what it is. And I, I plan to use that a lot. But when I was under conviction as an 18-year-old girl, I was like, well, Lord, I've been to an altar before. And I was confused. You know, Lord, I've, I've been through it. I've, I've, I believe in you. I've been to an altar. But he showed me that night. And so a good example of this to know if you've had faith in Christ is when I knew I was in trouble. If you've been under conviction, you know it stings. It's not a great feeling. Looking back, it was the best day of my life. But in that moment, you've got all these, I mean, it's a dread. You know, it's a heavy dread over your your soul. And I remember, you know, when I went to the altar, I didn't cry to the altar to save me. I didn't cry to Buddha to save me. I didn't cry to Muhammad to save me because I didn't have faith in them. But I said, Lord. I called upon Christ's name to save me because I had faith in him. And I think that's a simple illustration of if we have faith in Christ. And so uh, when we call upon the name of the Lord, as instructed in Romans 10, 13, we are merely verbalizing in our own words our desire or trust to rely upon Christ for our salvation. There is no magic formula in regards to specific words that we use. Um, but it's what we believe, not necessarily what we say. So like I said, I would not have called on somebody if I didn't, number one, believe they were real. I wouldn't have called on somebody if I didn't think they could or would save me. So that calling, it, it shows faith because you're saved by faith. And so, to, like I said, this is simple. I know we've all heard it, but these little definitions help me so much. Um, and then it says faith does not simply believe in what we want to believe. But it believes in what God has said. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So faith has to be based upon something. It's not blind faith. It's faith is based upon the word of God. We have faith that he died for us. We have faith that he is willing to save us. We have faith in his word. And so we have his word to base our faith upon. Then number three concerning salvation is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be shown. Um, that conviction, I know I heard the gospel, I don't, I couldn't even count probably how many times before I got saved. And so my husband had preached a message a year before I was saved, something to the effect of, you know, of the blind Pharisees or something along that, but he preached on the radio. So he did a rerun of that message on the radio after I was saved, and I thought to myself, why did I not get saved the first time I heard that message? Because it, every single thing applied to me, but I had no, it went right over my head. But when God showed me, when he showed me, so salvation's a work of God. It's not anything we can do. Um, God uses us to be witnesses. God used many witnesses in my life, many preachers in my life that brought me to the point of salvation. But ultimately, salvation's of the Lord. And he, wrought, he, he works these things in our heart. He works repentance. It's not a work. God works that repentance in us. He shows us what our sin is, and that's that dread. And then he gives us faith to believe. So it's no works that we do. It's all um, of him. And so that kind of covers a, a bit of like biblical salvation because you don't hear, you don't hear about conviction a whole lot in, in a lot of places. And so it's definitely a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And another thing um, it's definitely a whosoever salvation. So it's God is not willing that any perish. He's going to convict every person. I fully believe that. Uh, but the sinner has to accept him. So the next thing I want to go into after biblical salvation is why would somebody um, doubt their salvation? 
And there's, there's several reasons, but I think these might be the five most common reasons. I think most things can fit in these categories. But number one is unconfessed sin. So the Christian life is not a religion, but it's a relationship with the Lord. So my mom will always be my mom. But if she's told me to do something or I went against her in sin, then our fellowship can be broken. And that broken fellowship is not going to yield fruit of peace and joy and those things. So unconfessed sin, I think, is a big one to doubting your salvation. Um, so definitely make sure that that is brought up because when you, when you can pinpoint why somebody is doubting their salvation, I think that helps you. You can use the Word of God as a tool to bring them out of that. And so... Uh, God, when God is offended and grieved, this can hinder our sweet fellowship and closeness um, and can, can bring on negative feelings. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 9 says, But he that lacketh these things, that's someone who's not adding things to their faith, is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. So it's possible to even forget what God's done for you. Um, and then number two... I think unconfessed sin, but then also a lack of knowledge. Um, and like I said, as I, when that thought hit my mind shortly after I was saved, it was a lack of knowledge. So when I began studying and knowledge, and I started these definitions and God's word, then I started to be having peace again in my heart. Second Peter one two says, "Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord." So the more that we learn of, of who Christ is and what he says, the more peace a believer will possess. The more that we really know him, the more confidence that we have in him. 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved us. As we learn about who is God, what is God's will, what does God say, then we begin having that peace and joy in our hearts. Um, and then number three, and to me, this is... This is what I was wanting to do, and I feel like girls are very prone to this. But number three is relying on our feelings. A lot of times we want a feeling to back up truth, um, but the Bible says there's peace in believing. Um, that's where we get our peace. We want to feel to believe something. But most of the time, if you will believe and take God by faith, you will feel something. But we want to, I want to, switch that. I want to feel good so I know I'm saved. Versus I want to believe what God's word says. And that does in turn make you feel good. But a lot of times we want to rely on our feelings. Um, and girls have hormones that fluctuate. Um, most people are, most women are driven by her, uh, emotions. And so that's what we want. But a persistent lack of assurance may be caused by the habitual reliance on inner feelings rather than the word of God for assurance of truth. Assurance is a constant state of our mind, which we are constantly believing God's word and God's promises. Assurance is never going to come by a feeling. I have definitely been saved before, but that is not my assurance. I cannot even use my salvation experience as my assurance, but God's written word has to be where my assurance comes from. And so... Uh, it's consciously believing in God's promises, even in spite of feelings of guilt, depression, uncertainty, doubt, or fear. Um, godly assurance is given as our minds are concentrating on unchanging truths about God. I have a list of these things, and God says, think on these things. 
we have to program our minds. And this has not come natural in my Christian life. This has been work after I have been saved to think on these things. We have to fill our minds with what does God say and then meditate and not let our minds go. And, I, and I've got another verse later on. But not let our minds go down the path that Satan would love to take it down. Um, but then number four, I believe, is wrong beliefs. So sometimes a, a young girl or anybody can have a wrong belief of God. And there's so many doctrines. There's a the doctrine of thinking you can lose your salvation. There's the doctrine of, um, I guess you'd say, election, where just a certain amount of people can get saved. There's so many of these things that can torment a young girl. The author of confusion. So when before I was genuinely saved, say, I don't know how old I would have been, maybe 17 or 18, but about six months before I got saved, God began, I wouldn't say I was under conviction, not like the night I was saved, but God began, I began wondering and pondering and questioning, but it was not tormenting. It was just, I think I really want to know if I'm saved. But then doubting after salvation, that was torment. So God, God will make you wonder or question if you are lost. Um, but it's different. God does not come. He comes to save you. You're, you're already condemned. He doesn't come to condemn you. He comes to save you. And so he, his goal is to show you your condition and save you. Satan wants you to think there's just no hope. Like doubt is hopeless. But conviction, there is hope. And I thought like that is the difference. When you are convicted, God doesn't say you're lost. He, just said, he says you're lost, but turn to me. But doubt is just, you're lost. It's just, it's completely different. God does not deal in confusion. If you are lost, I fully believe God will show you that. I, I just have that, I have faith. He wants everybody to be saved. And if you want to know, the, the day that I was saved, and I wasn't saved because of this, but that, and I could, I've shared my testimony here, but that Friday morning I wrote in my journal, Lord, if I'm lost, I pray you would save me tonight. And if I'm saved, I need assurance. And he was so faithful. He showed me I was lost. And even during the service, even during the invitation, Lord, I went, are, are you sure I'm lost? And then he, he used the preacher to say, young lady, you know how to play the part, but you know something missing. God is so faithful. If you want to know, he is going to show you. He is not out here to... To trick people or confuse people, he deals in absolute truth. So you can diagnose who is speaking to me, who is who is this voice that I'm hearing. Because God, if God wouldn't do it, then you then just shut the voice off. It's not God's voice. Whose voice would that be? So God deals in absolute truth, not in salvation, uh, not in confusion. But then number five, somebody might truly not be saved. So I had some conversations with people before I was saved and they never told me I was saved but we just talked about it and then I would leave and I really wasn't tormented until I had that dread on me the night I got saved but God you know it could be that somebody's not saved but I, like I just said I feel like God will show you that um, and especially I will say there are like first John is full of evidences of salvation uh, the Bible's clear on that. If you don't have a Bible testimony, things like that. So make sure that they're not genuinely not saved. You want to make sure that they have that Bible testimony. And so if you can figure out biblically why someone is doubting, then you know, 99% of the time the Bible will clear that up. But then I want to deal with specifically on doubt, on the subject of doubt. So Satan began waging this war all the way in the garden. It was the first thing he, he tried on Eve. Yea, hath God said, 
Did God really say that if you'd call on me? Like, yeah, did God say? How, how does that happen in our mind? God puts a period somewhere and Satan puts a question mark. Well, I know God said if I'd call, he'd save me, but there's a, there should be a question mark there. There's a period. But Satan somehow can get our minds, and that's why we have to guard our minds. That's why we have to think on these things, bring every thought into captivity, because if we're not careful, Satan's going to have a heyday with our minds. And I've been there before. I have been tormented because I've allowed him... Uh, you know, I've had I've heard one example of you start drawing a circle, but you draw that circle so many times, you're going to have a mess. It's going to it's not going to look like a circle anymore. And so we can take God's truth, we can take salvation, we can take our experience of salvation, and go around that circle so many times that we're we don't know what's what. And so I caution you, but especially if you're dealing with a daughter or a young girl, to help her stop going down that rabbit trail. Just say stop. Stop and focus on this truth because that's, you know, that was what helped me the most is just stop. <laughs> Don't keep going in this rabbit trail. What does God say? And so Satan began, and then not only did he he say, yea, hath God said, but then he said, God knows if you do this, you're going to become like like God. And, and he made her believe uh, wrongly about God's character. So you know, God's character was not doing Eve wrong, but Satan made it seem as if he was. And so God, remember, what is God's character? Um, and that's something that has always helped me, especially during, like I said, after those two weeks, it really helped me. God came so I would be saved. God loves me. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. If somebody wants to be saved, he is not going to send them to hell. That's who we serve. So focusing your mind on who is he? And Satan would like to say, well, he picks and chooses who he's... He just wants you in that despair. Because if he can get you there, then you're not the witness you should be for Christ. You're, you're <coughs> stuck. You don't know if you're lost to get saved or if you're saved to serve him. And that's what Satan loves to do. He loves to get us stuck. He stops our progress because you can't even grow. You can't get past salvation to grow in the Lord in any other area. So it's definitely one of the most powerful tools that he can use. But 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against what? The knowledge of God. If anything exalts itself above the knowledge of God, that's why we have to know what God's word says. If you know what God's word says, you have kind of an arsenal against him. You know, there have been times I'm like, I have quoted scripture in prayer to the Lord. I know the Lord knows the scripture, but it has been my arsenal to overcome. You know, not just down your salvation, but, but a lot of different things Satan can make you question or what is God doing and things. Um, but we bring everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought <coughs> to the obedience of Christ. And so what to me, what that would mean is if the devil says, you know, you're lost, you're not saved, and you have knowledge of there was a time that I've called upon them or there was a time I've repented, then you take that thought, you cast it down, and you bring it into subjection to what Christ's word says. And so to me, that's what changed my whole mindset on it. But this is another one of Debbie Pride's quotes, and it's long, but I really love the way she had phrased this. It says, when we experience questions or doubts, we instinctively seek to hear it with our own ears, to see it with our own eyes, or touch and examine it with our own hands in order to satisfy our questions or quiet our fears. 
Uncertainty and insufficient concrete proof tend to trouble us, so we are accustomed to using our own intellectual ability to collect and weigh information until we are able to draw conclusions. And to me, that is the most dangerous thing you can do is your reasoning within yourself, your reasoning within your own human reasoning, and that's not God's method. Um, but it says our five senses and our power to reason serve us well in the physical realm by providing us tangible evidence that we can easily utilize in everyday decision making. But when we are confronted with questions in the spiritual realm, our human means of determining facts are inadequate if we depend upon them alone. To satisfy our spiritual questions and determine truth, we must learn to exercise and rely upon faith. The simple act of believing what God has said and taking him at his word. And so we cannot use our human reasoning to satisfy spiritual things. We have to use our spiritual senses, which is faith. And so next I want to go into God's will for the Christian life is to live by faith, not by feelings. Romans 1.17 says, The just, that's the saved, shall live by faith. This refers to believing God with everyday living. <clears throat> living by faith and saving faith is two different things. Saving faith is simple enough to trust Christ for salvation. But living by faith, that's a process. And it changes. Uh, I'm living more by faith today than I was three years ago. And it's a constant thing. Things that we go through, trials that we go through, so many things. Our faith grows. Saving faith doesn't grow. But living by faith grows. So the believer's ability to live every day by faith is something that develops and grows as his confidence in Christ grows. The ability to live by faith, on the other hand, is something that fluctuates with one's knowledge and understanding. And I definitely believe we can spur our growth or we can stunt it. Um, the more you're in God's word, the more peace and joy you're going to have. Um, if you just, you're just tormented and you're wrestling in your own mind, am I saved or not, but you don't go to God's word, that's going to be stunted. And so, and that, that goes for every everything we go through in life. We can wallow in it or we can search God's word. Um, and, and it goes for everything. But in both instances, saving faith and living by faith, faith always rests on the word of God, on his promises, and on his character. The more that we know God cannot lie, the more that we know God can be trusted. We know we're saved because God said so. We know he's going to help us through a trial because he said so. And that is our confidence. Um, but that definitely does grow through, through knowledge of what he says. Um, this confidence in the faithful character of God is our foundation on which faith rests. Um, God's order for the Christian is to live by faith and not by feeling. So we have to think, does God want me, how does he want me living? And we can't live contrary to that. We can't live by our feelings. We have to live by faith. That is his, his program. And like I said, faith a lot of times produces feelings, but it's flipped. It's faith and then feelings. Um, and then sometimes we just feel bad. I mean, I know Sister Megan Marley's always felt good, but God's still building her faith. And so then it says conquering doubt. One might doubt his or her salvation for several reasons, but no one ever conquers doubt of salvation without finding assurance in the written word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we can see Peter, um, when the stormy seas, uh, he walked out to Jesus. 
he had faith enough to do that. But the, when did he sink? He sunk when he looked at the storm. When he looked at his circumstances, he began to sink. And so when his eyes were upon Christ, he was walking on the sea. He was doing good. But then when his eyes got off of Christ, he began to sink. But only as he said, Lord, save me, his eyes got back on Christ, was he pulled out of that. And so we have to keep our focus on Christ, who he is and what he has said, rather than even our cast down. Jesus promises that none that come to him and depend on him alone for salvation will go away rejected. He says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is responsible to do the saving and the keeping of your soul when you trust your soul completely to his care. He saves you whether you fear and fret, or he saves you if you have joy and peace. He will not deny his word. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar with the hymn, One Thing I Know. I don't have the voice to sing, but... It, it is a, a wonderful hymn. Uh, Daniel Whittle wrote the hymn, and he begins each verse with saying, I know not. Basically, I know not how I was convicted, or I know not this, or I know not that. But then the chorus of, every, of the first of every chorus is, but I know in whom I have believed. And that is where we have to get. I may not know, why did I not get saved at 16? Why did I, why did I get saved? I may not know those answers. I may not ever know some of the answers that if I dwelt on them would cause seeds of doubt. But I do know what God says, and then that's what we have to build our faith upon. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you are asking him and trusting him to take your soul. You've committed your soul to him, and we have to trust that he is who he said he is, and we commit that unto him against that day. So the songwriter, or the songwriter, he he didn't claim to know everything. He says, in fact, he confesses there is a lot he does not understand. But one thing he has become certain is Jesus keeps his word and will do what he's promised to do. Girls and women love to have all the details, but when we are speaking in the spiritual realm, things are far beyond what we can understand. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. This is where faith and trust comes in. Our methods of figuring something out or solving something, completely different than God's. And so we have to go on faith. That is the whole Christian life is faith. Um, those who lack assurance of salvation almost always put their confidence in personal experience or their own subjective responses. And so it's you should have a time and place where you were saved. But more than analyzing even what you've done, you analyze who is Christ. And that's where we get our peace. Not even, because salvation is not what we do. It's, it's, he gives us, like I said, he gives us repentance. He gives us faith. He convicts us. It's all of him. But instead of even just, there should be a time and a place. But instead of analyzing the time and the place, we analyze the Lord of our salvation. Um, the Bible says in 1 John 3.20, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. Our own hearts may condemn us, but God does not. For all who put their trust in Christ are saved and forgiven. God cannot lie, and you or your daughter or anybody, is, he's not going to lie to them the first time. Um, so keep those in our, in our minds. So in conclusion... 
God, God's will, God's desire is for everyone to know without a shadow of a doubt they are saved. He is a good God. He is a merciful God. He does not delight in anyone perishing or anyone even having fear. He is not that God. He is full of compassion. He is patient, loving, and kind. And he wants us to have absolute assurance of our salvation. So as faith in God's salvation and in his character increases and brings joy, then we want to continue in our growth. God wants us to come to the place where we no longer expend needless emotional energy doubting our salvation. But with having those, settles, those questions settled, we can go on into maturity in Christ. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection for a mature Christian. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So God wants us to even, he wants us to grow past that foundation. To not keep hashing that, but to grow in grace and grow in knowledge of him so that we can make a difference for his glory. And so then I said, make sure that your daughter is filling her life with the things of God and not the things of the world. In this generation, more than ever, our girls, I think the greatest gift you can give to anybody, especially if you're raising a little girl, is to make her so strong in the Word of God and her foundation so nothing can shake what she believes. She has something that will not have anxiety about. But thank God we have this, the Word of God, so give her that, that foundation in her life. Uh, make sure she has her prayer life. And, and, of course, church attendance. Um, but believing God's promises give us peace. And it's already been quoted today. But Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And then 1 Peter four nineteen says, Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. And we truly, we have a faithful creator. He is he is trustworthy. He is never going to fail us. And we have something that we can trust. We have a foundation. So I hope something today, it's simple. And I know things we've heard over and over. But it is definitely things to teach young people or teach somebody that would be struggling. Um, and I thank God for salvation. And I thank him with all my heart for who he is. And, and just how good he is. And uh, thank you for the opportunity as well.